this week on Dig Me Out. There's no aphrodisiac like loneliness. Truth, beauty, and a picture of you. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with a requested review for one of our 12-month subscribers. Mr. Kim Bowie has reached the 12-month subscription goal, or I guess you'd say uh, finish line, although ain't finished, still going. Going to hit around, going to go around for another 12 months. Yep. Because uh, this is actually from a couple of months back, uh, the 12-month goal was reached so he's already two months deep on his next one? Yeah, pretty much. Next request. And, nice. uh, you know, Kim's given us some good suggestions over the years. Started out with uh, Spider Bait. That was the first one. And then there was the band Something for Kate. And then the Crowded House record that we did. Love that record. And then uh, Regurgitator last year, which was a, an interesting record from what I remember. Use the word interesting. <laughs> this time around we were going to do a record and uh kim sent it to us and we're like yeah that record doesn't exist in the united states like it doesn't it's not streaming it's nowhere it's not on spotify it's yeah so instead it's got a million suggestions so instantly gave us a new one the whitlams or the whitlams a band from sydney australia is the 12-month suggestion of Kim Bowie. Thank you, Kim, for joining us for 12 months and supporting the podcast. Jay, were you familiar with the Whitlams before we... Uh... <laughs> no. no. In fact, uh, I also... <laughs> this I think this band name is impossible to remember. Like, since I've been listening to it, just in my own thoughts, you know, I try to... Like, oh, yeah, we're recording and I got to we're, we're talking about this record and I, I can't ever remember the name of the band. I keep wanting to say Caulfields and I know that's wrong mm-hmm. and I have to go back and actually look at the record and remind myself, OK, Whitlam's Whitlam's. I just it will not stick. Well, I believe there was a skirmish between the Caulfields and the Whitlam's <laughs> back in the 1800s. <laughs> right. So. Uh, no, uh, the Caulfields, like I mentioned, from Sydney. New South Wales, Australia, formed in 1992. They broke See, up in 2000. You just did it. What? You just called them the Caulfields. I did? Ah. Oh. <laughs> See? You'll never be able to get them straight again. Thanks for ruining that for me. The Whitlams formed in 1992. They broke up in 2011, but then reformed again in 2013. Like a lot of bands from the 90s. Broke up, got back together. Reunion. Uh, the basic lineup is uh, Tim Friedman on keyboards and vocals. There's been a lot of other people in the band. The original band was Andy Lewis on double bass and Steve Plunder on guitar. They put out their, from 92 to 95, um, that was... What is double bass? What does that mean? um, I guess... stand-up bass? I guess a stand-up bass, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go look that up. So in 93, they put out Introducing... The Whitlams. That was on uh, Black Yak Phantom MDS label, which I believe is the label that, or one of those is the label that uh, uh, Tim Friedman actually runs. And then the second album in February 1995, Undeniably the Whitlams, 
was released. Sadly, in 1996, um, Steve Plunder, the original guitarist, passed away. Uh, he was found dead at the base of Wentworth Falls. Uh, it was either they were unclear whether it was a suicide or it was an accident, but uh, the band broke up temporarily. And then uh, Friedman reformed the band with new lineup. So for this, what's interesting with the, about the album that we're doing, Jay, which is Eternal Nightcap. This was released in 1997. So basically, Tim Friedman sat down, started writing the record, and then for each song, he found musicians to play on them rather than having uh, specific musicians play on the entire record. So there's like 20 people who play on this record because only you know they play on one song. Hmm. Uh, he recorded the whole thing for $18,000 on his own dime, on his own label. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up going, this album ended up going to number 14 on the Australian charts, and it went double platinum. The single, No Aphrodisiac, was released, no video, it received no commercial radio play, and it had no budget. It made the top 60 in the singles charts in Australia and the top 50 in New Zealand. Sold 80,000 copies and ended up going to number one on the Triple J Hot 100 in 1997. Like a rocket. Like a rocket. In 1998, the Whitlams won Best Independent Release at the ARIA Music Awards for Eternal Nightcap. They won Song of the Year for No Aphrodisiac and Best Group. Pretty interesting for an indie band. To pull all of that off, their fourth album, Love This City, was released in 1999. That went to number three on the ARIA album charts. I love this city. (laughs) It was a more solidified lineup at that point. Ben Fink on guitar, Bill Hankenberg on drums, and Kotko Lovett on bass. Just one, or not one, one, I guess a regular sized bass, not a double bass. And then so that, they're, uh, that's just uh, while you're while you're on it, that's just apparently another term for an upright bass. Oh, okay, I didn't so, know that. Nothing special. I thought it was a bass in each hand. <laughs> That'd be pretty badass. Um, their fifth, I guess, yeah, their fifth album, Tar- "Torch the Moon," was released in July of two thousand two. That went to number one. So they had a fourteen, a three, and a one on the Aria charts. That went platinum. And then in March of 2006, they released their final album, Little Cloud. That went to number four on the ARIA charts. They toured and toured and toured. And then um, they uh, decided to uh, call it quits after performing. They performed some shows with the uh, Symphony Orchestra in 2007, um, which then they turned into a CD that they gave away for free. Uh, the Whitlam's and the Symphony Sydney Symphony Orchestra, seven hundred thousand copies were given away. A compilation ca- album came out in two thousand eight, which reached number three, and then they called it quits. Went a hiatus, I guess you'd say, um, two thousand eleven to two thousand thirteen, and then in uh, two thousand thirteen started playing again. And two thousand seventeen, they did a twenty fifth anniversary tour, and um, no news yet on whether they'll be. Uh, more releases, at least not on the on the Wikipedia. Jay, we got some feedback on this uh, band. So luckily, some of our Australians 
uh, Australian folks over at Patreon, they they chimed in. First, I want to mention that um, Stephen Musinski mentioned or, or chimed in. He's he's not familiar with the band being a, a U.S. resident. He said, "Man, there's a lyric of the end of that first track that made me do a triple take. I wonder if my Uber passenger heard what I thought I heard. I'm referring to the line." She pay me suck his finger with some fine wine. Ha ha. <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyway, the style of loungy pop piano isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but I have a feeling this will likely make for some great conversation. Looking forward to the review. Jason Pan said huge in Australia in the year it came out with no aphrodisiac voted the number one song in the hottest 100 that year. Was more uneven than I recalled re-listening to it this week. I still love Charlie Number 3 in Melbourne, my hometown, with the other two songs in the Charlie trilogy also in the top five. I laugh at Stephen's comment above. Tim Tim Friedman lifted the lyrics for The Bridge from a friend's much more raunchy band called Machine Gun Fellatio, who also had some success around the turn of the millennium. (laughs) That's quite a name. Yeah. So very Uh, subtle. Uh, but it's pretty funny to think of all the people who th- who bought this album uh, off the radio and didn't realize the bridge lyric is a Lonely Hearts ad about BDSM with a transvestite. And then Gavin tri- chimed in, strangely enough, I was at a pub this weekend and there was a signed Whitlam's guitar on the wall. So apparently, Jay, this band was huge. And we never got a whiff of them here in the States. No whiffs of the Whitlam's. <laughs> as you would as we would say yeah so that was our patreon feedback we want to remind people they can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out to become a subscriber to our patreon page 250 level you get you a review after 12 months just like kim so let's talk about the whitlam's eternal nightcap jay i'm gonna start because i always make you go first so i'm gonna start with one oh, thing I liked about this record. Uh, I'm going to say one thing I liked about this record, Jay, is change of pace. And I, what hmm. I mean by that is uh, I like that we're getting a record that I was completely unprepared for when I first listened to it. I did not know how to digest this record. I was not prepared for a piano, um, cabaret, balladry kind of record in the, in the vein of like Rufus Wainwright. And in some respects, other places, it's got some Ben Folds feels a, you know, we don't cover a lot of because of the 90s. A lot of what we cover is uh, guitar driven rock. Not surprising. That's that was the heyday of that era. But uh, it's nice to get a a curveball every once in a while. And this is a curveball in terms of uh, what we normally review Um, the playing on the record whether it's the piano playing is obviously Tim Friedman's a excellent piano player and and his songwriting is really interesting it's um like I mentioned it dips into a lot of different styles there's some very pop oriented songwriting on this record um there are songs like you sound like uh Louis Burdett which has a, a cabaret kind of uh waltz feel to it <laughs> There's a little thing I wanted to do out east, yeah. I'm nothing too emotional, my goodness. I, I couldn't be serious in a room full of jackknife eyes. 
Stop talking about the years You sound like Louis Bidette And we roll on in my back shed Play some poker, scratch my head Look at the sky and spot the flames Where would I go on holidays? Roll with the punches down the aisles and down the street The weeks roll by I know there was a band that we reviewed, and I'm blanking on them, but that also used. Oh, I was the um, when we the Ken Stringfellow uh, album that we reviewed when he was on the show. His new solo record. It had some songs on it that had some like cabaret waltz type feels to it that mm. we dug, um, yep. or, or I might have dug. I don't know if you dug those. But then there's stuff like uh, like Love Is Everywhere, which would totally be a you know on the radio as a Ben Fold song. I think. Just a good pop song. So in terms of what I liked, I, I liked that this was different. Um, and I liked a lot of this record in terms of it pushing my uh, out of my comfort, comfort zone. Um, some of it doesn't work for me, but a lot of it did. And um, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about the Whitlam's Eternal Nightcap and what one thing you liked. Uh, I'll echo the... The change of pace, the name and the album cover, I either completely, the name is unassuming. Like you have no idea what it's about. Uh, The album cover actually was leading me to believe this was going to be uh, maybe more grungy guitar based. So obviously when we kick in the the first track, it is definitely not that. So it uh, piqued my interest for sure. Um, I... I'm intrigued and generally I'm a fan of piano based kind of you know but still rock or pop oriented music you know when it's done right i i enjoy it quite a bit and that's the case with this record so when it works um you know to me it starts to feel like you know moments of billy joel or elton john or even Mm -hmm. like melbourne has like kind of that john bryan kind of feel to it yeah so you get these really um you know moments clever songs pretty good hooks good songwriting good performances and it just reminded me of you know the that era of pop music when uh particularly the 80s early 80s you know when you had more piano based stuff or just really talented artists um and musicians, you know, writing in the pop format. It wasn't just all about style. So it, there was moments on this record where it definitely reminded me of that. And then it still could kind of head in a, in an alt rock kind of direction at times. Um, oh, what's the song? Life's a Beach. Uh, the verses on that reminded me a lot of what you might have heard on something you might have heard on the first Moist record, which also was uh, oh yeah piano prominently in it.
got work here Tearing it down You know it's quicker packing So I was hearing a lot that I liked um, I, I tend to like uh, You know some of the slower stuff um, You know they, they pull off the the ballads pretty well whether they be um a little bit loungy uh with the first track or even uh a bit melancholy i think they do that well um i wasn't as much a fan of when the band turned to uh kind of the either the ragtime piano or the waltzy kind of stuff Mm -hmm. or the even love is everywhere which is it's got moments in it that I enjoy kind of with the harmonies and the way the vocals are handled, but there's other times where parts of that song that, uh, I just kind of find, I don't know, a little grating and kind of cute and don't enjoy as much. Mm-hmm. I, I guess they're a band that as they pushed, I didn't like it as much. I, I kind of like when they just kept things simple and did what piano does great and when they try to push a little too far um it sounded like they were trying too hard or exploring places that maybe aren't really um that interesting i guess so Mm -hmm. yeah that's where i'm at now i wonder how many people listening thought oh these guys are gonna hate this this isn't this isn't (laughs) in their wheelhouse at all but you know we're open-minded people one of the other things i wanted to highlight in terms that i like is you know so many times when we listen to bands the lyrics are almost superfluous you know Mm -hmm. it's just about melody and they're they're not really all that interesting but there's a lot of lyrics on here and i'm not necessarily gonna like read off all the lyrics but you find yourself catching lyrics and then like sort of zoning in on like, yeah. oh, what is he saying? Like, and then, yeah. and then being kind of caught by the lyrics. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that because you're dealing with a lot of ballads and piano and stuff, you can actually focus on the lyrics a little bit more. So it's easier to pick them out. So that's probably part of the reason why, but also just cause you know, he's not necessarily singing about things that you probably have heard in other songs and he's, the approach is just a little bit different. I think a lot of that also is because of playing piano and you can, it's a different phrasing, you know, as opposed to playing guitar, mm, you know, yeah. that from playing those instruments Definitely, um, yeah. in terms of, so I want to talk a little bit about what I'm not going to say. I didn't like it, but I did struggle at times with his voice. I felt like it worked really well until it didn't. And then I found it to be grating. Um, and most of the time I was fine with it, but there was just a couple times where it like, it was almost, and it might've been on like the waltzy or the ragtime or ragtime stuff that you're also struggling with a little mm-hmm. bit, um, where it got like a little too like cutesy or I don't know what it is, but it just didn't work with work for me. Did you have any trouble with his vocal at all? Not really. It was okay. I, I think I, I kind of get where you're going though, where at times it could be a little grating. I would take it back to more about the combination of vocal and then sometimes the lyric choices. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's a moment of moments on here where, well, first off, I, I felt like it was very cinematic, like both oh, yeah. the words that he uses and just how the songs are written. I, it was very like visual to me, the, mm-hmm. the, 
which was interesting. Uh, but there'd be times where he would drop lines or sing things in particular ways. Um, where I, I, th- I think you hit on it where it, all of a sudden then you notice it and you're like, Oh, well, okay. That was, what do you say? <laughs> right. And then you find your, I found myself like, okay, well, where's this going? So one example was, uh, let's see, Charlie number one. To wrap you in her loving arms. There's no sleepy girl to wrap you in her loving arms. There's a lizard on the doorstep and there is music in my head. There's a gold star on your forehead, but there is trouble up ahead. Charlie, what'll become of us? I had my dreams for both of us. For, uh, for the most part, like I'm kind of into the song and the lyrics are making sense. And then he drops this line. There's a lizard on the doorstep, but there's music in my head. And I'm like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> right. Uh, and it just totally breaks the whatever I'm projecting my mind, what the song's about, right? And sort of experiencing that, all of a sudden there's a line like that and you're like, well, that's just sounds like random words. I have no idea what you're talking about, right? right. And then I'm distracted and trying to like then decipher what, what what's going on here. But then there's other parts where, you know, it, it, it works a lot better. So on Charlie number three, there's a line earlier in the song that uh, he said, there's a, there's a half-eaten moon in the sky, you know, sort of a way to visualize or a crescent moon in a, in a different kind of way. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of clever. I, I like that line. Um, so there's these, this push and pull on, on how the lyrics and the vocal are being delivered where there's times where it's really smart and, um, you know, kind of gets in that, um, either Billy Joel or even like squeeze and those sorts of bands, you know, um, mm-hmm. in terms of like really, uh, sharp, clever lyrics to, just distracting. <laughs> just like what? I don't know what you're talking about. Like that just sounds like shit you're reading out of a book or or out of a, like the first song. You know, like you na- like describing where the lyrics came from. Like reading ads in a paper to a- actually saying something. You know, it's a little little spotty there. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Dylan cover, Tangled Up in Blue? Uh, I hated it. Really. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's fine enough, but it's, it does not need to. I didn't feel like I need to be on the record. In fact, yeah. I didn't even bother taking notes on it. It was like really like it felt odd on the record compared to everything else. It sounded like something they probably jam on in practice, and it didn't need to be recorded. I just didn't see what point it played on the record. Yeah, because it's such a the he has such a unique voice and perspective and voice in terms as a songwriter that adding that there and i don't even think that that's him singing i think that's one of the other guys because the like vocally it's different yeah the vocal on track six where's the enemy is different too i don't know yeah yeah i don't know who that is i'm not sure if that's because it's not listed in terms of the vocal credits as far as i can tell online it sounded like the guy from dishwalla (laughs) it it is a bit raspier and more alt rock so yeah i can i can understand that um let me ask you one other thing. So this comes out in 1997, 
uh, in reading about the record, because I was so confused by it when I first started listening to it, I actually had to go and like do some reading on it. Like, what what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I read a review that said that this is an adult album, as in, while, you know, not to say that a, a teenager couldn't appreciate this, but like some of the subject matter, some of the issues that Tim Freeman was working through, which was the death of a bandmate, as well as uh, some of the, um, I guess you'd say the characters that appear in these songs are dealing with adult issues that in terms of its appeal, do you think that that A is true, that it's really kind of an adult-oriented record? And also, do you think that that's what kept it from having any sort of impact in probably uh the u.s or or i don't i don't know about the uk either it seems like they primarily were successful in australia and new zealand yeah uh definitely i agree it is uh more adult i mean even to the point where like i had notes in here like wow this part sounds like a christopher cross song like adult into in literally adult contemporary like subject matter and even musically um i mean you're dealing with you know, really talented musicians that are capable of playing jazz and I'm, I'm sure in, in all types of different kinds of music that comes across that's more mature, that's more adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that aspect, I definitely see that. Was it a reason it wasn't success- successful? That's an interesting question. I think the the only, I guess the parallel I would draw would be in America would have been Ben Folds. And, right. you know, if you think about his breakthrough song, or songs, uh, they're not particularly, I mean, they're kind of the uh, teenagery. I mean, they're, you know, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily mature. Um, you know, rock in the suburbs is not, <laughs> you know, the same subject matter that you're hearing here. Neither is, you know, brick is pretty accessible and, and pretty relatable to, right. I think, uh, young, young adults and, and teenagers. So, um, but sonically, you know, you could hear some similarities um, oh, between the two bands and certain parts of some of the material. So I think that would definitely be, at least in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why this it's, it's not going to break through here. Yeah, I can't see this going up the same year that, you know, the Foo Fighters were dominating radio with the color and the shape and you had the first glimpses of teen pop returning with, Spice Girls and In Sync and Backstreet Boys and that kind of stuff and you know I think that's Marilyn Manson's you know breakthrough with uh, Mechanical Animals on radio yeah and uh, that just it just seems like it would not have found any sort of it might have been an underground success here but I don't I don't know that it would have ever gotten a near a radio station back then so i mean you had like uh i can think of a lot of female artists at this time i mean this is when you've got um sarah mclaughlin right Mm -hmm. it's got some pretty big songs at this time and i mean even fiona apple appears around this time and there's some some artists that are in some ways a little more mature but there's still an accessibility to the songs and the Right. The lyrical content isn't so uh, specific that it becomes unrelatable to younger people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think in those artists, you can still relate to the songs. Even if you've, you know, only had a high school crush, it still all kind of works. Right. This is all very like narrative and specific. So, yep. Well, Jay, let's talk about our overall reviews then. Our thoughts boil down into a single description. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where are you at? EP. I've got uh, five, six songs in here that I, that I liked quite a bit. Um, no Aphrodisiac, Buy Now, Pay Later, Melbourne, Charlie Number 3, Life's a Beach, and Band on Every Corner I thought was a song when they take they take a departure into something different. It's kind of like a, sounds to me like a kind of a folk song or an Irish folk song. Um, and I think it works really great as a little album closer, but that's about half the record that I like. So that's an EP to me. Yeah. I'm there with you. I, I think I might've had a few different song choices, but it, I'm really in the same like four or five, maybe one or two different, um, but I'm I'm with you. It's it's more of an EP for me because the songs that don't work, I just kind of push them aside, and the Dylan cover yep. is kind of pointless. So yep. yeah, I'm at an EP as well. So interesting. This was a really interesting pick by Kim. Uh, we've gotten a lot of them. They've been all over the place, and they usually are. They're never bad. They're always interesting. They're usually pretty mm-hmm. good. So yeah. uh, thank you, Kim, for again. Making us work. That's what you do. You make us work. I like it. You know, it's 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 fun when you never heard of the band and you look at the the record and get a get an impression and then you put it on and your perspective completely flips. Yep. And then, and, and all of a sudden you're paying much more attention, right? Because you have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. The, when when you listen to a record the first time and it makes you have a proverbial needle drop, <laughs> and you're like, what? What is this? <laughs> you, you know, it's either going to be really yeah. interesting or just really awful. So, so thanks, Kim. And thanks, everyone over at Patreon for uh, commenting and supporting the podcast. Uh, this is your reminder that if you want to win our second quarter contest, you have to be signed up by the end of June. You have to be a Patreon subscriber, either at the 250 or the dollar level, by midnight... I believe it's June 30th, Eastern Standard Time, and we will select a Patreon subscriber to win their choice of a Dig Me Out t-shirt. Any one of them, any one of our t-shirts off of our Zazzle page, you get to pick the shirt. You can pick, and Zazzle allows you to pick the color, the size, you know, all that fun stuff. You get to customize it. It doesn't have to be a Dig Me Out shirt. We also have various uh music related shirts as well uh we'd we'd love you to be a walking billboard for the podcast but we understand that uh, one of the other ones might be more attractive or interest you more i actually own a couple myself so uh and i the one that i have uh the um the 90s were super has gotten me more than a few comments so just say if you want to make friends that's the one you want to get because people like to talk to you when you wear that shirt and ask you where you got it and I tell them, and they usually don't buy it. But that's okay. <laughs> Couple do. Couple do. Uh, and I want to remind everybody, if you like this podcast, not just this one, but overall, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Um, that's it. 
For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. There's a girl going crazy about you and I'm not far.